Well, good morning and welcome to Better Life Church. Um, I'm not Pastor Daniel. We'll just go, we'll go ahead and rip that band-aid off, right? Uh, maybe uh, you were expecting him back. I know it's been two weeks in a row. You guys be praying for him. He is actually preaching at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Corbin this morning. You guys be praying for him and his family as they are traveling. Uh, but you get me today. My name is Adam, and I am honored to be able to bring uh, the word to you this morning. Uh, one, uh, just congratulations to you. You made it to church on Spring Ahead Day. Now, maybe you were planning for the first service. You made it here. Whatever you are here, congratulations. Also want to welcome everybody that is watching online and give a shout out to our Grayson campus. If you missed last week, man, it was so good to see. We had a United Sunday. And uh, so we had uh, several of our Grayson team members and attenders that were here with us at this location. And it was just great. Pastor Aaron kicked off uh, the series and uh, man, he did a phenomenal job. If you missed that message, make sure you go and check that out. It really kind of sets the, the course for this entire series. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we have done Cross Equals Love for the last few uh, years, leading us up to Easter. I cannot believe that uh, we're talking about Easter. It'll be April in 2021. It feels like we're you know, just kind of getting started, but here we are. And Easter particularly feels like uh, this, this year, feels almost like a two year in the making kind of thing. I know we didn't cancel Easter last year, but it definitely looked a lot different. And as Connie said, we are really excited about being able, for me personally, to be able to celebrate Easter in person this year. Uh, we'll continue to, to broadcast this online as well. However we gather, uh, we're looking forward to that this year. Well, we're gonna continue right on kind of where Pastor Aaron left off last week. He's told us that loving is serving. He said that true love uh, is not self-gratifying, it is self-sacrificing. That love is choosing, not just choosing one time, but each and every day to choose that love. For me, the next question on that is, okay, if I am to love that way, who am I? called to love. I mean, it's a little daunting to say we're to love the entire world, right? I mean, that's a lot of people. Uh, for an uh, introvert like me, uh, that is a very, very tall task. Some of you, man, you are energized by talking to people and being around people to be in a crowded room. For others of you, like myself, you're like, man, come on. Like my wife still, she is uh, blown away by the fact that I can go into a restaurant, sit down and eat by myself. Like I'm completely fine with that. Others of you are like, man, no, I do not wanna do that. I am completely fine with that. Uh, if you find me in a crowded room and I'm, I've not like turned, I can turn being an extrovert on, right? Just the fact some of you, you're like, I could never stand on that stage and talk in front of people. Like I can turn that on, uh, but it is a lot of effort for me. Others of you, you just exude hospitality, right? That is in your wheelhouse. Uh, the reality is, however, the Lord has, has chosen to use each of us to serve others, to love others in the way that Pastor Aaron was talking about last week. And regardless of whether we're an extrovert or an introvert, it, it, does not, it doesn't excuse us from that calling. I don't understand why he has chosen to do it that way. It would be much easier for him to do it by himself, right? I got a one-year-old and he's kind of just starting to um, kind of want to help out, right? Help out, right? He's doing quotations. The other day, uh, Tara, she was folding up clothes and she was stacking them up on the couch and, 
and uh, he, he was trying to help her out, right? He would go over and he would take the clothes that she just folded up and she, he would unfold them and put them back in the pile. Uh, if you've ever tried to uh, let your kids help out, right? It'd be much easier just to do it by yourself. Uh, I see that kind of in the same way with us and God. He would be much better for him to do it by himself, but he has chosen to use you and I to accomplish the work of spreading his love and the message of the gospel all around the world. So, like I said, the question that I have is, who, how, when, all the things, right? And so we're gonna dive into that today. So if you got your Bibles, or if you got your phone, or you wanna look on the screen, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And when you, you turn there and hold, hold your place there just for a minute, we're gonna jump right in there here in just a minute, but you'll find this is a very, very familiar passage. In fact, I don't, even, I don't even preach that often, and I've preached from this text before. That's how common this is. But I think there's a lot of things here that, that is going to help define this for us. And at the end of the day, I wanna reframe what Pastor Aaron said last week just to kind of keep us focused on this reason of why this is even important. Right? I think it's important to realize why is it important that we are to show this love to others. In John 13, 35, he used this scripture. He said that because of our love, we will prove to the world that we belong to Jesus. I'm paraphrasing there a little bit. And listen, church, our world right now, what they need more than anything else. One, they need a picture of what true love is, everything that is going on all around us is trying to distort what love is. But more importantly, they need to know who Jesus is and they will see that through our love. We'll see that in John chapter 13. So that's why we are doing this. So uh, like I said, Luke chapter 10, we're gonna jump right in this morning. Pastor Daniel is not here with us, but in his honor. He always says, if you're ready, let's say, let's go. So turn to your neighbor and let's hear it. Let's go. Oh, come on, y'all do better than that. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go. There you go. There you go. All right, let's pray real quick and then we will jump in. Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. God, I pray for just the next few moments, Lord, you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear the messages you have to speak to us today. God, I pray that, Lord, that nobody remembers a thing that I say. But God, they will remember everything that you say to them through me. God, I also pray that you would give us the courage, Lord, to apply what we learn today. Lord, because we know when we add application to information that we learn, Lord, true transformation occurs. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. We see here, it says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now, I'm gonna set the scene here for you just a little bit. This was right in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. We know everywhere Jesus went at this time, there were crowds and crowds of people around him. It, this, the way this is written, it almost seems like a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but it, was, it couldn't be further from that. He would have had uh, just lots and lots of people uh, around him. And everywhere he went, in addition to that, there were people who were looking for ways to trip Jesus up, right? They were always trying to test him. And so that's what we see here. It says a, a, an expert in religious law, we're just calling him a lawyer, he stood up 
to test Jesus. He was looking for, he was waiting for his opportunity to try to trip him up. Some scholars even suggest that they were paid to do this, right? They were paid to follow him around. And so uh, I, that would be incredibly uh, kind of nerve wracking for me that I, I would just, you know, looking, you know, that some of y'all were checking the scripture, you know, making sure that I didn't make any mistakes today. I'm sure I will make a few, but uh, this is what happens. He stood up for the sole purpose of testing Jesus. And he asked this question, which to his credit is a great question. Verse 26, he's, or sorry, first, uh, the end of verse 25 there says, he asked him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question. In fact, this is probably the greatest question. If you don't know the answer to this question, to ask. And if you're here today and you wanna know the answer to this question, I promise you, you will not leave today without knowing the answer to this question. But Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now, I love how Jesus does this here. If you got any teachers in the room, maybe you've used this strategy before. If a student asks you a question, you kind of ask them a question in reverse to help them um, kind of discover the answer on their own. I was a teacher in a previous life. I know how, how, that, how that works. Um, if you remember a few series ago, Pastor Daniel, we actually went through, uh, it was called The Way of Jesus, and he talked about how the Jesus was a rabbi, and this was actually a strategy that many of the rabbis use. And so anyway, he doesn't answer the question directly. He says, hey, what does the law of Moses say? Jesus would have known that this was a religious expert in the law because of the way he dressed, because of the way he looked, because of the way he acted. Everyone would have known that. And so the, verse 27 says, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So much like you would expect from a expert in the law, he's literally quoting from the law here. Uh, we see this uh, quoted from Deuteronomy 6, uh, Leviticus 19. We actually see a very familiar exchange here. Uh, some of you may recall the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, asks the exact same question, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus actually says the exact same thing that the lawyer is saying here back to the rich young ruler. And if you look at that heading in the text there, it actually calls these the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I can only imagine, once again, if my sole purpose is to trip Jesus up, I find my opportunity to ask him a question. My guess is he had a few other things kind of in his tool belt that he was, he was kind of ready for a fight, right? He was ready for an, a debate or an argument. But Jesus, I'd almost expect here, he kind of took him off guard a little bit because Jesus says, no, you're right. Correct, do this and you will live. I almost put myself in the mindset of having a conversation with my, with my kids and sometimes, especially Riley, he will, he will give a lot of thought to how he presents an idea to his mother and I of you know, something he wants, right? And he's ready. He, he's not just ready with the first question, he's ready with the second, he's ready with the third, right? And so I can almost imagine that's what the, what the lawyer was like. But Jesus is like, no, right, do this and you will live. The lawyer's processing here, he's going through and almost kind of pushes the bounds just a little bit. Maybe he's a little bit cocky here, I don't know. But he says, the man wanting to justify his actions, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Once again, I think this is a great question. It's the question that I'm asking. If we are to love this way, who am I to love? Who am I responsible for, right? I, if, if, if eternity hangs in the balance, 
I wanna make sure I get this right. And maybe you're here today asking that same question. If you are, you find yourself in the right place. So here's where we pick up verse 30. We actually pick up with a parable. Once again, another strategy that Jesus used all throughout the New Testament is he told stories. Now, maybe you're a great storyteller. Maybe you've got a great storyteller in your family. I myself uh, uh, am told by my family lots of times that I'm not that great of a storyteller. Uh, Most of the time when I'm telling a story, they're kind of leaning in, right? My family's sitting over here. And I get to the end of the story and they're still like, is is that the end? Like, uh, they're kind of waiting for the punchline. And no, I, I thought it was a great story, but I'm just not a great storyteller. There's an art, there's an art to it, right? Jesus was a great storyteller, And so uh, this is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've never been in church before, uh, you've probably at least heard a reference to this story. So here we go. We pick up and it says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead on the side of the road. Now you might... Uh, you, you may think that this is kind of shocking way to set up a story. Uh, I think probably this would not have been shocking to his listeners at all. One, once again, the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very uh, common uh, journey that people took. It's an 18 mile stretch of road. Road is probably a, a, a little bit of a stretch. I, I Googled and looked at images of it. I would call it like a path, maybe a trail, right? It was, it was not a road that we would think of. But even to talk about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho would kind of be like me saying, hey, the other day I was on the connector, right? Or I was on the interstate uh, headed from, Lexington, uh, from Moorhead to Lexington, right? We, we, those are common things that we've, we've all done. We would know exactly what he was talking about. Even to the point that says the man was on a journey, he got beaten up and attacked by bandits. Like the fact that he was, you know, they would have been like, okay, well, he was traveling alone on this road. Well, of course he would get attacked by bandits. This road was, it was desolate. There was nothing around it. Uh, it was desert-like. Um, plenty of places for, for people to hide and jump out and attack those that were going. It was also, many people would come to Jericho, to Jerusalem to get supplies. So as they were coming back, they would have had lots of goods and things that people would be interested in stealing. So once again, Jesus sets this up a very familiar way and everybody's like, okay, so what's gonna happen here? So that's where we pick up in verse 31, it says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And so the fact that the priest didn't stop and help, this would have been the first shocking moment of the story, right? You gotta, when you tell a story, you gotta have a little bit of, you gotta introduce a, a conflict, right? You gotta introduce some, some problem there. Everybody would be like, what? Like the priest was like the superhero, right? He was like, it was like John Wayne or, or Luke Skywalker or the Avengers. When they come on the scene in the story, you know that things are going to get better. But they didn't. The priest just passed on by. I said he saw him. Wasn't like he didn't see him. He just passed on by. Now maybe we don't have to give the priest such a hard time here. Maybe he, you know, he was late for an important meeting. Maybe he was on his way to help somebody else. Uh, maybe we, we you know if you study Old Testament law, you would learn that if he would have touched a dead body, maybe he thought the man was dead, that he would have become ceremonially unclean and unable to perform his his uh, duties in the temple. So maybe there are lots of different reasons we can come up with here. So maybe we don't have to 
to be too hard on him, but the end result here in this story, he did not help. So Luke records here in the next verse that um, a temple assistant, maybe your translation says a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, one thing I can't, I think it's interesting to see how Luke writes this down. He says he passed by on the other side. Once again, to look at this road, it was a path. So if, if the man was laying on the road, you literally would have had to like step over him, right? I don't know how you go to the other side of the road, but, but in any case, the temple assistant, the Levite, would have not been quite as likely by the listeners to say, hey, you know, he, he should have stopped, but he was, man, he was right there. I mean, between the two of them, they're like, what? Like, why would they not stop and help? So Jesus is really setting this story up really good. And of course, you've heard this story before, you know how this goes, but a couple of things I wanna point out here. In verse 33, it says, then a despised Samaritan. Maybe your translation doesn't have that word despised in there. But to the Jews, the Samaritans were despised people. They did not get along. In fact, they hated each other. And I don't have enough time to get into all the reasons why. But the, it was a well-established fact that the Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. In fact, Jesus could not have picked a better a way to illustrate this story than by choosing the Samaritan to be the hero of this story. It says the Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, do you know what compassion is? Most of us would say, yeah, I know what compassion is. Can you give me a definition for it? Because I, I couldn't. I'm like, it's one of those words that I know exactly what it is, but I don't know that I could come up with a definition. So I did what any normal person does and I Googled it. Right? What's compassion? And here's the definition for compassion. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. That's the first part. And I would, I would even argue here that probably the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all did this first piece, right? They all maybe felt sorry for the man. But the end of that definition, it starts once again, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune at the end of it is, it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. You see, it's not enough just to see the need. I believe the Levite, he went over and he assessed the need. Like he checked it out, right? He's like, okay, he, he's not dead, he's, he's bleeding. We have to have the desire to actually meet the need. So we continue reading here. He had compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Where did he get the olive oil and wine? I promise you there wasn't any Dollar Generals along that route. All right, these were supplies he already picked out, right? He already had along with him. He had no doubt had another purpose and plan for these supplies, but he used what he had to go and soothe and heal and bandage the wounds. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Maybe your translation says denarii, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He had compassion on him. He used what he had, both his goods, his resources, his money. And we don't know exactly how much money this is, but 
And most of the research I found, a denaro was equivalent to about one day's wage for a regular worker. You know, today's money, maybe that's, you know, with two of them, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I don't know exactly what that was. It was certainly not a ton of money, but it was not an insignificant amount. But he used what he had to go and meet the need of the man who was beaten and laying half dead on the side of the road. This, like I said, would have been shocking to his listeners. The priest didn't help, the Levite didn't help, but the Samaritan did Now, Pastor Daniel, he's told us this several times when we're looking at parables. He tells us that they are earthly stories with heavenly meanings and you can find the meaning at the end. So here we come to the end of this parable and Jesus is about to tell us what the meaning of this parable is. Jesus, it says, he looks at the man, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And I love the lawyer's reply here. I can almost see this as a conversation. Once again, I'm not picking on my kids today, but I can almost see this as a conversation that I'm having with my kids, you know, and you're trying to, trying to uh, make a point and, and you've kind of went through these different things and they're like, come on, dad, come on. You get that little eye roll, you know, like, come on. You know what the answer is. The man couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, right? Who was the one who was the neighbor? He, he couldn't even say it, but he said, the one who showed in mercy, right? I can almost see him. Come on, you know, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus brings us to a very fine point of answering the question, who is my neighbor? Now, real quick, if you're taking notes, I got three observations for you. I wanna just, just kind of rattle them off here real quick. I think there's lots of different things that we can learn uh, from this story. But like I say, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first observation I see from this passage is a lack of love is often easy to justify, but it's never right. I can honestly say as I've been preparing this message this week, man, the Holy Spirit's been all over me. And I'm just speaking to you from what the Lord has taught me. Maybe you're not speaking to anybody else. But when I say this, a lack of love is often easy to justify, but never right. And I can't tell you how many times I've been driving down the road, I see a need, come across somebody. Maybe it's the person on the side of the road with the sign. And I can come up with a hundred reasons why I don't need to help them, right? What are they gonna use the money for? Man, they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to cheat the system. I don't know. You can come up with lots of reasons. It's easy to justify, but it's never right. Second observation, I, I think, almost goes without being said, but it is the whole point to this message. Our neighbor is anyone of any race, creed, or social background that has a need. Anyone. Luke 6.32 tells us, what good is it if we only love those who love us back? Even sinners do that. Everybody does that. What good is it if we only love those who love us back? Third observation is love means acting. Love is acting. As I said before, the priest, he saw the need, right? Lots of people see the need. They post about the need. They make long rants and, and 
proclamations about the needs. Other people, they assess the need. They go and they check it out and they see, okay, this is what they need, this is what they need. But true love actually meets the need, acts on the need. That's what Jesus was saying here. The Samaritan actually met the need that the man had. You see, I believe the priest and Levite, they focus on the question of how helping the beaten man would affect them, right? It would cost them resources, maybe that they had, maybe that they didn't have. It would take time, it would take mental energy, I don't know what, but they focused on how helping the beaten man would affect them is a very me-focused question, but I believe the Samaritan asked the question of what's gonna happen to the man if I don't help? What's gonna happen to him? The very, it's a them-focused question. Now today as we kind of begin to wrap everything up, I've got one point. I don't really know what the difference between observation and a point is, but Pastor Daniel always tells us not to preach a pointless sermon, so I come up with one point for you, all right? Here it is, if you're, writing this, if you're taking notes, write this down. The price of love is time. The price of love is time. As I filter this message through my own lens, and I think about what are the things that hold me back from loving others in this way. 100%, 10 times out of 10, I'm in a hurry. From the moment my feet hit the floor in the morning till I lay my head down at night, I have a plan for my time. Now, I don't have it necessarily written that down, but my time is spent, right? I'm a full-time minister. I've got four kids. I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a son, I'm a brother. There are lots of things that demand our time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? The Bible tells us not to be lazy. We're to get things done, we're to accomplish it. But a couple of weeks ago, I listened to a message that was in our all staff meeting from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor of probably the largest church in our nation. He said this quote, and it's really stuck with me. It's funny how the Holy Spirit just kind of weaves everything together. But he said, the best ministry, and church, don't, don't, don't tune that quote out because we're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Regardless of what you do, where you go, who you are, we're all called as followers of Jesus to be ministers of the gospel. And he said, the best ministry happens in the margins. He was talking about this in the greater context of of living your life with margin. And he was talking about financial margin and mental margin and all these things. But the biggest one for me that stood out is time margin. I don't live my life with time margin. In fact, I, I, I focus everything around the, when I have to be here, I, you know, I set my helm, what time I'm gonna wake up and what time I'm gonna do this and what time I'm gonna do that. And most of the time, I'm either running on time, like right on time, or a few minutes behind, right? Anybody else out there, right? Some of you, you run 15 minutes behind everywhere you go. And listen, it's a, it's a learned behavior. It's part of what you do. And for me, it's not that I don't want to help others. It's not that I don't want to meet the needs of others. But without this margin for time in my life, guess what? I just don't see it. I miss it. 
I miss countless opportunities, I'm convinced, every single day, simply because I do not have the right mindset behind what the Lord has called me to do. So what are we gonna do with this? How do we create margin in our life to love in this way? At the end of the day, for me, I think it really comes down to a mindset, right? Leaving space for the Holy Spirit to work in my life. As I was talking through this this week, and uh, actually Pastor Aaron came in my office and, and we were talking through this a little bit. I was, I was talking about his message. He was talking about mine. I was explaining a little bit of what felt like the Lord had laid on my heart. He said, hey, he was talking about a book that he had read recently. He said, have you ever come across this study? And for some of you, you're like right there with me already. Others of you, maybe you need a little more convincing, but man, this study speaks right to what, I, what, what I'm talking about here. And the title of it is The Hurried Samaritan. I'm just gonna read it to you because if I try to explain it to you, I'm gonna leave some parts out. So I just wanna read this to you real quick. But it was about a social experiment that two psychologists conducted at Princeton University based literally on the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the experiment, a group of seminary students, which is literally a group of students who are becoming professional ministers. <coughs> Excuse me. A group of seminary students were asked to prepare a short talk on a biblical theme and then walk, to, uh, walk over to another building on campus to present it to a group of undergrads. In between the two buildings, the researchers placed an actor dressed as a derelict, slumped down in the alley, coughing and groaning. They then watched to see if the seminary students would stop and help the man or not on the way to giving their presentations. Before the experiment, a questionnaire was given to the seminarians as to why they were studying theology. The researchers assumed that if their motivation was to enter ministry to help others, they would be more likely to stop and help the man. One group of students was even given the parable of the Good Samaritan to present during their talk. Surely that group would be more likely to stop and help the man. The researchers, as they found, were wrong on both accounts. It didn't really matter if the students were presenting a talk on the Good Samaritan or whether they went into ministry primarily to help out humanity. The only thing that mattered was whether or not they were in a hurry. To one group of students, the experimenters would say, it'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you can, you can head on over now. To the other group, they would look at their watches and say, oh no, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. In the group that had plenty of time, 63% stopped to help. In the hurried group, only 10% did. And once again, I don't know if this is speaking to anybody else, but 100%, this is my life. I'm in a hurry. Even in the middle or coming out of the pandemic, however you're looking at this thing, when a lot of the normal patterns of life have been stripped away, my time is still spent. Time is the most precious resource we have on this side of eternity. Yes, money, resources, those are all precious commodities that we have, but time is the one thing that we will never get more of. We can't manufacture more. In fact, today we only have 23 hours, right? Instead of 24. That took an hour away from us. We're already behind. It's the most precious resource that we have. And as the most precious resource, 
And, and to look at this in the context, Pastor Daniel, he tells us all the time, we do not get to pick the, the generation we're born into. We do not get to pick the family we were born into. If we believe that we were placed here with a purpose, on purpose in this generation, the way we use our time, the way we choose to use our time is one of the biggest stewardship opportunities that we have. The very end of this parable, Jesus says this to the lawyer, and I believe he's saying this exact same thing to you and me today. He says, now go and do the same. Church, we're called to love our neighbor. And our neighbors are simply the people that God puts in our path as we are going through life, as we're going to work, as we're going to church, as we're going to Walmart, as we're going to the game. Wherever we find ourselves, I believe that the Lord puts people in our path that we are to love. Do you have the margin in your life to be able to recognize those opportunities or are we just passing them on by? I wanna ask you if you would to bow your head. As we wrap things up today, you know, I, I have to believe that there's some of you out here today that is like me. And I find myself asking this question, what do I need to rearrange in my life? What, what priorities do I need to change in order to create this margin in my life when it comes to time. At the end of the day, I've already said it, I think for me, it's a mindset. I simply do not ask the question or leave space in my life to say, God, how do you want to use me today? Pastor Aaron, he told us this last week, love is choosing. It's not choosing one time. It's not choosing one time a week. It's choosing every single minute of every single day to do what the Lord has placed us here to do. And that's to love others in this way. Compassion that the Samaritan had, that's not something that flows out of us naturally. For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, that compassion comes from the fact that the creator of the universe, the author of love lives in us. And because he lives in us, that love comes out of us. And for some of you today, if you're being completely honest with yourself, Jesus does not live within you. You've never taken that moment, that one place in time to put your faith and trust in him. And if you're here today and you're asking that question, how do I inherit eternal life? The Bible tells us very plainly that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We can invite him to live in us and live through us. He created us. Therefore, he has a plan for you. And if that's you here today, you can cry out to him right where you are and say, God, I want the love that I've heard about today. I don't know how, I don't know when, but right where I am, I realize that I have messed my own life up. Please forgive me for the sins that I have committed. And today, help me the best that I know how to begin to live my life for you. Now, prayer doesn't save you, but 
but your lips can proclaim what your heart declares. And if today your heart declares that Jesus is Lord, today you can begin that relationship with him. And as a church, we exist to help you take that next step in following him. And I would love nothing more than to talk you through that, to invite you to go to our next steps area here in just a few moments. Connie's gonna come out. She's gonna give you a few more steps. But that's why we're here, church. That's why we do everything that we do to help you meet Jesus and then to live for Jesus each and every day. Regardless of whether you find yourself here today, there is a next step for you to take. And we believe that the next step that you take is greater than where you are right now, right? Each of those steps that we take will bring us closer to Jesus. And I don't know exactly what that is for you today, but I want you to know that we're here to help you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to use me. God, I don't understand it. I don't always get it. I know I mess up. I know I blow it. But God, thank you for inviting me to help accomplish your plan of spreading the gospel all over this world. Help me, God, to have your eyes to see the opportunities, Lord, that you present for me each and every day. Help me, Lord, to create the margin of time in my life that I can recognize those divine appointments that you set up. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.